Well, hey, today we are continuing our series here at Thrive Church called The Art of Healthy Relating. And this series is all about relationships, how we can have healthy relationships with the people in our home, with the people that we work with, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, the relationships in our lives. And hopefully you found this series to be really helpful. We've had an amazing time looking at different practical keys to experiencing a new horizon in your relationships. And today I'm especially excited to bring you today's episode. See, today's episode of The Art of Healthy Relating is on a topic that is so real and yet it's so delicate. It's so real for many people And yet it's something that we almost never talk about until it's too late. That topic is the topic of what do you do when you find yourself attracted to someone that you don't think you should be attracted to? See, maybe the person you're attracted to is already with someone else. Maybe you're not married, but the person you're attracted to is already married. Or maybe you're married and the person you're attracted to is not your spouse, but someone else that you're not married to. And if you've ever experienced this kind of attraction before, you know that a part of you feels guilty and disturbed that you even have these kind of feelings. And yet a part of you also feels excited when you think about that person. And now you find yourself living in this tension between what you think is right and what you think you want. And see, what do you do then? See, today's message is called Dealing with Dangerous Attractions. See, let me give you my definition for a dangerous attraction today. See, a dangerous attraction is an attraction that you feel towards someone that you don't think you're supposed to be with, or someone that you know deep down you're not supposed to be with that person, and yet the attraction is so strong that it consumes you and distracts you from being the person that you want to be. It's where to pursue that attraction to its fullest extent right now would mean to dishonor your own marriage or the marriage of someone else or to hurt someone really badly or to otherwise ignore or violate a command that God has laid down concerning marriage or sex. And see, if you've ever been attracted to someone that you don't think you should be attracted to, then guess what? You are not alone. In fact, you just look at all the different songs that have been written on this very topic over the years. For example, back in 1974, there was a girl called Olivia Newton-John, and she had a number one hit single called, I Honestly Love You. And it's on this topic of dangerous attractions, when you're attracted to someone that you don't think you're supposed to be with. And she sings in this song, she sings, in another place in time, this moment might be ending in a kiss. But there are you with yours, and here I am with mine, so I guess we'll just be leaving it at this. That's, you know, Olivia Newton-John. That was 1974. In in 2002, there was a rapper called Nelly who had a number one hit song called Dilemma, starring and featuring Kelly Rowland from Destiny's Child. And, And this song called Dilemma is all about how there's this guy who meets a girl who already has a family with another guy. But then Nellie's character in the song can't help but feel so attracted to this girl. And so Nellie sings, I've never been the type to break up a happy home, but there's something about this girl that I just can't leave alone. And then Kelly Rowland, in turn, she sings, no matter what I do, all I think about is you. Even when, when, I'm, even when I'm with my boo, you know I'm crazy over you. And see, what do you do when you feel a dangerous attraction? See, this is a huge topic. It's very real for many people, and very often we don't talk about it until it's too late, until the affair has already happened, until the scandal has already taken place. And you know, in a way, it's understandable why we don't really talk about these things. It's because it's uncomfortable to do so. It's embarrassing to talk about it. It concerns some of our most private, secret, closely held feelings. 
We can feel shame and guilt for even having these feelings in the first place. We can have fear and anxiety over how others might be affected if they found out how we felt. And it's for that reason that we, sometimes we just choose not to talk about our dangerous attractions. But here's the thing. Bad things happen when we don't deal wisely with a dangerous attraction. See, for example, when you have a dangerous attraction and the feeling is not mutual, in other words, it's a one-way attraction, the other person doesn't feel the same way back, guess what it can lead to? It can lead to some awful things. It can lead to unwanted sexual touching. It can lead to unwanted sexual advances. It can lead to other types of sexual harassment, predatory behavior, abuse. For example, the Me Too movement, just that, you know, since a few years ago, that all started because high-powered men didn't deal wisely or healthily with their dangerous attractions, and they abuse their power to get what they thought they want. That's when the feeling is not mutual. But when the feeling is mutual, and the dangerous attraction is not dealt with in a wise, healthy way, it can also lead to awful things as well, like adultery, cheating, affairs, abandoning one person to run away with another. And see, here's the thing. When you don't deal with a dangerous attraction wisely, it can significantly damage, if not destroy, relationships. It can damage your marriage. It can destroy your reputation. If you're a Christian, it can hurt, if not take away your ministry. It can derail you from God's best plans for your life. For example, in the news, just these past years, few years, even the past few weeks, you hear about you know, high-profile Christian leaders who once had these very influential ministries, but they had to step down from their positions of leadership because they failed to deal in a healthy way with their dangerous attraction. Maybe that leader was involved in an affair or that leader was involved in sexually harassing the person that they were attracted to. And the victims of that harassment are violated and hurt in ways that words cannot describe. The churches and the organizations that these leaders leave behind are left to pick up the pieces and they're hurt in the process. And that Christian leader himself and their spouse and their family experience untold pain, both privately and publicly. And see, here's the thing. Even when nothing explosive like that takes place, even when they're is no affair or no scandal, and it's just you dealing with dangerous attraction, guess what? For you personally, when you don't deal with a dangerous attraction in a wise and healthy way, it can kill you on the inside. It can lead to frustration, anxiety, depression, shame, guilt, addiction, and hopelessness as you carry on this secret, silent struggle within yourself. It can create resentment in you as you think about your own partner and are in that marriage. And see, if you want to have, if we want to have healthy relationships with one another, we need to know how to deal with dangerous attractions in a healthy way. If you agree with that, say amen. 1 Timothy 5.2. There's a, a guy called Apostle Paul. He's a church planter. And he's writing to one of his disciples. His name is Timothy, who's a young pastor. And he writes this in 1 Timothy 5, verse 2. He says, Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. See what's going on. See, Paul knew that if Timothy, as a young pastor, didn't deal with his dangerous attractions wisely, it could get him into trouble. See, how do you deal with a dangerous attraction in a healthy way? See, here at Thrive Church, we really believe that you weren't made to face your struggles alone, but that God loves you, 
He wants what's best for you, and he's committed to helping you through whatever struggle you're going through, if only you would let him. You weren't made to silently, secretly, hopelessly struggle with whatever dangerous attraction or other struggle that you have today. And my hope is that this message will bring you some hope and some encouragement today. First Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says this. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or sister or take advantage of them. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Today, we're talking about dealing with dangerous attractions. What do you do when you find yourself attracted to someone that you know you're not supposed to be with, and that attraction is so strong, it starts to consume you from the inside out? See, let me tell you this. I want to begin by telling you that being attracted to someone that you don't think you're supposed to be with is not a sin. It's not a sin. Sometimes we can be attracted to people because of their appearance, the way they look, because of their sense of humor, because of their charisma, because they seem so talented, because we just like the sound of their voice, or we like the fact that they seem to care for us, or just because that person is so different from anything that we're used to. And see, just because you are attracted to someone doesn't mean you've done something wrong. Just because you're attracted to someone, even someone that you know you're not supposed to be with, it doesn't mean you're a bad person and you should be ashamed of yourself for even thinking or feeling that way. It's just an attraction. And see, the fact is this, God made human beings in his image. You and I, we are made in the image of God. And part of what that means is that God has given you a unique shape by which to serve God and give him glory. And when I say unique shape, I don't just mean your physical body. What I mean is God's given you a unique shape, personality, your abilities, your heart, your talents. You know, and, and here's the thing, every human being was given a God-given shape to give God glory and lead others to him. And so what that means is that every human being has a magnetic, attractive quality about them. For some, it's easier to see than others. But see, we all have something attractive about us. We all have something magnetic about us. And without making it awkward between you and the person in, uh, beside you, without you know, exchanging any kind of feelings at all, just tell them, you are attractive. You are attractive. It's because that's the way that God made you. He made you to be attractive. He made you with a shape so that you could attract others, give God glory, and lead them to, lead them to, to God. And see, that's always meant for good. And so there's nothing inherently wrong about being attractive. That's why when you read the Bible in the book of Esther, it doesn't say Esther was lovely in form and features and God was so mad. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. That was part of her shape. You know, being attractive in whatever way you're attractive, your looks, your sense of humor, your intelligence, whatever other way that you may be attractive is a gift from God that God wants you to use for his glory. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not my fault I'm this attractive. It's not your fault that you're this attractive. At the same time, you'll also never find in the Bible God saying, and so she was attracted to him, shame on her. Shame on her for feeling that way. No, it's because if you're attracted to someone, even someone that you don't think you're supposed to be with, it shouldn't come as a huge surprise because being attractive and being attracted are not sins. It's just part of the way that God made us to be. Let me say it again. Being attractive 
is not a sin. And being attracted is not a sin. What matters is how we deal with the attraction. And see, if being attracted is not a sin and being attractive is not a sin, when does an attraction become a dangerous attraction? Well, let me tell you when. A dangerous attraction is when you have an attraction towards someone that you don't think you should be with, yet it consumes your heart and mind in a way where now you are tempted to chase after that person regardless of what other commitments or promises you've made. A dangerous attraction is where it's consumed you to the point where now you are habitually entertaining and feeding lustful thoughts about that person. Or a dangerous attraction is where it consumes you so much that now you resent what you have and you envy that person who has who you want. And you're like, if only I was that person, if only I could have that person. Or, you know, a dangerous attraction is where it consumes you enough that you find that this attraction is now a major hindrance to the quality of your marriage if you're married or it becomes a major distraction to the kind of person that you want to be. It starts to mess with your peace of mind. It starts to become this emotional burden that you carry. Have you ever been through that before? See, if you ever experienced a dangerous attraction, you ought to know being attractive and being attracted, they're not sins, but what matters is what you do with the attraction. So what do you do when you experience a dangerous attraction? See, there are a couple, at least a couple unhealthy ways that people deal with a dangerous attraction. One unhealthy way that people deal with a dangerous attraction is to justify it. In other words, instead of seeing that attraction as something that need, they need to be careful with, instead, they embrace the attraction. They feed the attraction. They welcome the attraction. They pursue the attraction. And they think, you know, I just want to be happy. I just want to feel good. We might start messaging that person privately, secretly, giving them signals that we're interested in them. And if they reply in kind with affection as well, we feed the attraction even more. And eventually, with more and more messages, we say, hey, why don't we meet up? And, and it becomes from meeting up, that's when affairs start. And see, now some people say, well, that's perfectly natural, isn't it? Since there's nothing wrong with being attracted to that person, there shouldn't be anything wrong with following through with that attraction. For example, Ethan Hawke, he is an Academy Award-winning actor, and he was once asked about relationships, and he said this. He said, people have such a childish view of monogamy and fidelity. He's cheated, so he's bad. She's cheated, so she's bad. As opposed to a recognition that our species is not monogamous. To act all indignant that your world has been rocked because your lover wasn't faithful to you is a bit like acting rocked that your hair went gray. That's what he said. Ethan Hawke. And he said, basically, what is he saying? He's saying, if it feels so natural to be attracted to other people and to chase that attraction, then what could possibly be wrong with that? But that's, that kind of thinking, I would submit, is way too simple. Because if you were to give in to every time you felt attracted to someone, if every time you craved something, you chased it, you would not know the meaning of self-control. You wouldn't know the meaning of loyalty of faithfulness, of honor, of commitment, of integrity, and especially you wouldn't know the meaning of love because love is so much more than an attraction. See, you would be breaking promises, you'd be breaking trust, you'd be breaking hearts, you'd be ex acting extremely selfishly and leaving a trail of destruction wherever you go. And we would just be like, if we lived that way, we'd just be like every other animal on the earth going after any and everyone we feel something for without any care for the consequences. And see, as liberating as that might sound in a way, the fact is this, we can hardly live with ourselves when we live that way. 
Because part of us, what makes us human, part of what makes us made in the image of God is that we have a conscience. We have this sense of honor, a sense of what's right and wrong. For example, once Charles Darwin was asked, how are human beings different from all the other animals? And Charles, Charles Darwin was quoted as saying this, human beings are the only animals that blush. In other words, when a bear attacks a human being, the bear doesn't go, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have done that. When, when a shark forcibly copulates with another shark, the shark doesn't go, oh my goodness, oh, I did something so bad. They don't think about that, but we're held to a different standard. Is that we can't do things like break our promises. We can't do things like cheat on others without feeling awful about it because God built in us something called a conscience. God built in us a standard of right and wrong where deep down, even if we try to deny it or try to ignore it, deep down, we can never get away from the fact that it's almost like God's law is written on our heart and we know what we need to do. It's just a question of whether we're going to do it. And so an unhealthy way to deal with a dangerous attraction is to justify it, to feed it, to, to welcome it, to say, oh, it's so natural. So how could it be wrong? That's just living in denial. But there's another unhealthy way to deal with a dangerous attraction. It's to suppress it. It's to suppress it by doing other things that are also unhealthy. For example, Ben Affleck, one of the A-list actors in Hollywood, you know, he once you know, very publicly said that when he was married to Jennifer Garner, another famous actress, one of the most desirable women in Hollywood, many people think, and he felt trapped in that marriage. So much so, he didn't know what to do. He resorted to drinking. And he started to suppress the stuff he was feeling by getting into alcohol, and he became an alcoholic. And see, maybe you've been trying to suppress a dangerous attraction by doing other very unhealthy things. Maybe drinking, pornography, overeating, overspending, or just a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of dealing with your life that is not healthy, that's only making things worse. Can I tell you this? You don't need to live that way. Is there a healthy way to deal with a dangerous attraction? Well, I believe there is. Today, I want to tell you seven practical steps that you can take if you're dealing with a dangerous attraction and you want to do so in a healthy way. Now, I'm going to approach this from the perspective of when you have a strong attraction for someone that you don't think you're supposed to be with and nothing has quite happened yet. In other words, it's you who's got this attraction. You haven't pursued it in a major way. They might not even know about it yet. It's like the beginning stage. And we're talking about that because so often we talk about when it's too late, when we've already acted on the attraction, when the affair has already taken place. We want to deal with it on the front end and in so doing, hopefully save a lot of us a lot of trouble. Proverbs 27, 12 says it this way. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Another translation of Proverbs 27, 12 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. In the words of Proverbs 27, what are some precautions that we can take? Some practical ways we can take refuge and keep ourselves safe when we struggle with a dangerous attraction. Today, I want to give you seven ways. And you can write this down because I think it'll help you. Number one, ask yourself, why am I so attracted to this person? Why am I so attracted? In other words, ask yourself, am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing or is there another reason why I'm so attracted? See, we're, we're gonna spend more time on this one point than any of the others. In fact, probably more on this one than all the others combined, but it's probably because this is probably the most important one, is that beyond what you find attractive about your dangerous attraction, oh, I love her legs. 
Oh, I love his face. You know, I love her money. You know, I love his intelligence. Or I love her, her rebellious attitude. You know, ask yourself why. In other words, is there another reason beyond just that that you're attracted to this person? Is it really because they're so amazing? Or is there a deeper issue here? Is the attraction actually a symptom of a deeper issue in your life? Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. In other words, it takes wisdom to get to the heart of the issue and understand why is it that I'm so attracted to this person. So let me offer you some possibilities in case you're not really sure where to begin. See, here's the, am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing? Or is it more because, possibly number one, there is something in my current relationship that needs fixing? Maybe you're married and your marriage right now is lacking a sense of fun, adventure, excitement. And, and, you, you, and, and so, you know what? You're just like, oh my goodness, you know, this is my marriage. You know, maybe your sex life has become really dull in one way. And if it's you, then what you need, can I tell you this? If that's you and that's really going on in your life, then can I tell you what you need isn't necessarily a new relationship with a new partner. What you need to do is to try to refresh the relationship with the one you already have. Because maybe it's not that the grass is really greener on the other side. Maybe it's that you just haven't really bothered to water your own grass. And so, of course, you're looking elsewhere. And see, it's, it's not really that person that you're so attracted to as much as it's a symptom of the fact that you're just really unhappy in a marriage that you have not really worked on. And see, if that's you, that I encourage you, maybe it's time to work on your relationship in a new way. You might even want to check out episode five of our series, The Art of Healthy Relating, called Refreshing Your Relationships. Because how many of you know that lasting love isn't just based on attraction. Lasting love takes work. Amen? That's the first possibility. Here's the second possibility. Am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing? Or is it more because I have a heart problem? Maybe you've got an issue with contentment or an issue with lust or an issue with greed. Or I'm just a really selfish person. And that a big reason, I have to be really honest with myself, a big reason why I'm attracted to that person is because I know they're available and I think they're easy pickings. Is that the reason? Here's another reason. Am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing? Or is it more because I have a tendency to look down on what I have and focus on the negative? And if you look at your history, you're always looking down and complaining about what you have. And you always feel you never have enough. And, and that's kind of a habitual problem in your life, kind of like ongoing. Maybe that's why. Another one. Am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing? Or is it more because there's a hurt in my past that is yet to be resolved? Maybe there's a hurt in your past. Maybe your parents and you, your relationship. Or maybe something happened between you and a previous romantic partner. And, and there's, that hurt lingers on. And in some ways, the attraction you feel for that someone else right now is actually driven from that. It actually arises from that hurt. Or maybe, next possibility, am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing? Or is it more because I'm trying to fill a God-sized hole in my heart with something that is not God-sized? See, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, you have a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. You can try to fill that hole with money, with sex, with power, with fame, with friends, with lovers, but you will never fill that God-sized hole in your heart because this is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. Are you trying to fill that God-sized hole with something that's not God-sized? Maybe that's why you have a dangerous attraction. See, if any of these are possibilities, 
then I would submit that what you need is not a new partner and a new relationship with them, but what you need is to work with God toward a new heart and a new mind and a new horizon, to be healed of your past hurts, to be filled with his Holy Spirit. See, those are some possibilities. Let me give you two more possibilities. Am I attracted to this person just because this person is so amazing, or is it more because I just don't get out very much? Is that maybe it's something where this person is really the only other person I see other than my spouse all the time. I see them at work and they're just the one other person that I see all the time. And so because of that, it's like I kind of get used to being you know, close to this person and the, the attraction comes this way. Or you know, maybe next possibly, am I attracted to this person because this person is so amazing? Or is it more because I'm lacking good non-romantic friendships? Is that maybe what you lack And what you need are some platonic, non-romantic friendships where you can just have fun with others and not worry about the romantic stuff. If you're a guy, maybe it's about finding other guys that you can just play laser tag with or or just go and watch a hockey game with and just do stuff where you don't have to worry about the romance part of things. And girls, same thing. For example, are you part of a small group where you can share about your life and share your highs and lows and share a laugh with others and pray for one another and support one another, encourage one another? Or are you putting all your hopes for community in one dangerous attraction. See, sometimes the mistake that we make is that we put all our hopes for, what, for, for community, uh, you know, for love. We put all that on one person, not realizing that we need different relationships to play different roles in our lives. If you believe that, say amen. See, in other words, beyond what you think is the obvious answer, like, well, this person, you know, gets me. This person is so good looking. This person has such a heart for God. This person listens to me. This person's got class and style. Is it, is it maybe there's something behind that? Ask yourself, am I attracted to this person just because this person's so amazing? Or is there another reason behind it? And why do I mention all of that? It's because if any of these possibilities I've mentioned is actually happening in your life, guess what happens when you pursue that dangerous attraction? When you pursue that dangerous attraction and you get that dangerous attraction, guess what? You will still be unhappy. Because the issue was never that you needed that person. The issue was something deeper in your life that still isn't resolved. And so what you're going to find yourself doing is you pursue that dangerous attraction and you'll find yourself in the same place again, unhappy, except now you've left someone you love and you've left a trail of destruction behind you as you chase the mirage that was the dangerous attraction. See, if you're married, instead of chasing someone else, I want to encourage you, treat that attraction that you feel as a clue that, man, I got to work on my marriage. And say you're engaged to someone and you're not married to them yet and you're strongly attracted to someone else. Can I ask you to do this? Because you're technically still single, you got to keep this in mind. Generally speaking, as someone who's engaged but not yet married, you are free or freer than a married person to choose what you want to do. And if you're engaged to someone and you're not 100% wanting to marry them, if not both your heart and your mind are saying yes, then you got to pause. You got to stop and get to the bottom of this issue before you go any further with this person. Because otherwise, if you go ahead and your heart and mind aren't saying yes, but there's a party that's attracted to someone else and you go and say, yes, I do to that person, you're going to make it extremely difficult for you and that person for the rest of your lives. And the the long-term pain of that is going to be so much more than the short-term awkwardness or embarrassment of dealing with the issue right now. For example, my wedding day, the day when I married Charlene, was the happiest day of my life. 
To this day, I can still say that. It's because on that day when I stood on that stage and I said, I do, I was saying, I do with 100% of my heart and mind. It's like all of me was saying, yes, I do. Yes, I want this woman in my life. And my life has never been the same. It's one of the best decisions that I ever made. And see, it was happy for me because I went into it 100% all in. But if you're not in that place, if you're engaged and you're getting ready to be ma- get married, but there's a party that's like, oh, I'm really not sure if this is the guy for me and I've, I'm attracted to someone else, then guess what? You got to pause and get to the bottom of that issue. Amen. Amen. That's the first thing you want to do about dealing with the dangerous attraction. Number two, number two. And again, we spent the most time on this one. The other ones are a lot shorter, but hopefully they're as well helpful for you. Number two, believe in the goodness of God's plans and the authority of God's commands. See, in other words, as you're dealing with a dangerous attraction, believe that God is for you and not against you. See, the reason God's word commands us against stuff like adultery, cheating, immorality, the reason he commands us toward things like love and commitment and faithfulness and humility and integrity is not because God takes pleasure in seeing you unhappy. It's not because God wants to kill your joy, but it's the opposite. God loves you. And he cares for your well-being. And he wants you to have maximum peace, maximum hope, maximum joy in your life. But guess how you get there? You don't get maximum peace, maximum joy by ignoring what God says. You do so by keeping God's commands. And see, here's the thing. God's commands are not prison bars to take away your freedom. God's commands are like guardrails on a highway or when you're driving in Richmond, there's a ditch on your right, there's a ditch on the left and there's guardrails there to keep you from a fatal crash. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says it this way. It says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. If you have your Bibles in front of you and you've got Deuteronomy 10 in front of you, would you underline that part of verse 13 and underline those words for your own good. See, in other words, God's commands are for your good. It's because God loves you. He wants you to thrive. That's why we're called Thrive Church. We're not called Depression Church. You know, we're not called, you know, morbid church. It's because God gave you his word for your good. And see, God's commands are not just for your good. They're also authoritative. In other words, God's commands are not just suggestions. They're not options. They're not, oh, take it or leave it. It's up to you. It's nice to have if you want, but it's okay if you don't. No, those are not God's commands. God's commands have authority and God will hold us accountable to how we responded to his commands. Did we obey them or did we disobey them? Did we you know, keep them or did we ignore them? And there are real negative consequences for us and our relationships when we choose to ignore God's commands. It's because God's plans for you are good and God's commands for you are authoritative. Number three, realize that you don't really know the person you're infatuated with. I'll let you write that one down while I take a drink of water. Realize that you don't really know the person you're infatuated with. You know, when you're infatuated with someone, very often this is what happens. All you see is the good stuff. All you see are the things that you think are so amazing about that person. And either you don't know their bad points or you willfully neglect their bad points because you're so consumed by what, what you love about them. And see, here's the thing. Chances are, This dangerous attraction in your life, you only see them once in a while. 
You see them maybe occasionally, once a week, and usually when you do, they're at their best. They're all made up. They're looking so good. They're performing in their element. They're doing what they do best, and they're giving you such a good impression. And on on the other hand, then you go home to your spouse if you're married, and you see them all the time, not just when they're at their best, but also when they're at their worst, not just when they're all dressed up and made up, but when they're washing their face, when they're on the toilet, that's when you see them. And so, you know what? It's no wonder that you find the other person more exciting. It's because you're excited just as much about what you don't know about them as what you do know. And see, it's no wonder you find them more exciting. But let me tell you this, it is not fair to compare someone you hardly know with someone you've been with for a very long time. It's because you don't know that dangerous attraction the way that you know your spouse. But let me assure you this, in case you had any doubt in your mind, just as you and your current partner have points about each other that you don't like and find annoying, there are things about your dangerous attraction, that person you're infatuated with, that you will not like and that you will find annoying. You just don't know them yet. And it's just a matter of time. Because guess what? God sent Jesus Christ to die for all of us. And so stop thinking that that person, that new person is such an angel from God, perfect in every way. No, Jesus died for them too. And see, stop worshiping a false image and let reality slap you in the face is that you just don't know that person yet. And once you find out their weaknesses, guess what? You could be in the same place you are today, except now the new dangerous attraction you have is someone else and the old bore is your current dangerous attraction. You don't want that to happen. That's number three. Number four, talk to someone safe about your struggle. See, part of the power of a dangerous attraction is in its secrecy that no one knows, you just keep it to yourself. And there's a power in that. There's a pressure in that. Sometimes we can hold it in so much that the pressure almost feels unbearable. And that's why when we're attracted to someone, we have this urge to want to tell them in some kind of way. And it kills us on the inside to not tell them. And see, guess what? If that's you, then you need to let the pressure out in some way. But what's the wise way to let the pressure out? See, you got to talk to someone safe about your struggle. First, talk to God. Psalm 38 verse four says this. It says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long, I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm, utter, I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me. Oh my God, come quickly to help me, oh Lord, my Savior. See what's going on. See, David, he's the one writing this. And he's being real with God about everything he's feeling, all the uncomfortable emotions he's got that he's experiencing, he's telling God about. He says, all my longings are open before you. And see, very similarly, say to God, if you are going through a dangerous attraction right now, you can say to God, God, I'm struggling in this area. I need your help. Please help me to deal with this attraction in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, that protects me and the destiny you have for me and protects that person as well. You go to God with it. You say, God, please help me. And maybe if you've responded to that dangerous attraction in a way that isn't healthy, in a way that isn't good, if you try to suppress it through unhealthy ways, if you try to chase it in dangerous ways, then you might need to confess it to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I I, I want to turn around from this. I don't want it, but I need your help, God. Help me, give me wisdom and strength to go your way on this one. See, the great thing about God is this. He already knows about what you're feeling. 
He already knows about your struggle even more than you do. And so, and yet he sees you with compassion. And so you can come to God just as you are, knowing he's not going to push you away. He welcomes you with open arms. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, something powerful happens when we bring our struggle to God, when we spend time in his presence, when we worship God and surrender our cares, our burdens, our struggles to him. What do we get in exchange when we give God our burdens? We, get, we receive his peace. And we somehow receive strength to carry on and have hope for tomorrow. That's the first thing, talk to God. Turn to him and say, you got to talk to God. You got to talk to God. Another one, talk to a safe friend. And by safe friend, I mean someone who's trustworthy, someone who's wise, someone who's emotionally mature, someone who knows you, and someone with whom there's also no chance of romance as well. If necessary, you want to see a counselor for this kind of stuff. 1 Samuel 23, verse 16 says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh, and helped him find strength in God. He said, if you're dealing with dangerous attraction, find someone safe that you can talk to about this. Ask them for prayer. Ask them for help. Ask them for advice. Ask them to keep you accountable. Say, hey, could you just check up on me on this one? And you might find that just by telling someone else and sharing it with them and getting them to pray for you, that that can suck and suck the power out of so much of that dangerous attraction that you're feeling. And so here's a question for you. Here's another question for you right now. Speaking of telling someone, say, should you tell your spouse? Should you? What do you think? See, you're going to hear different answers from different people on this. Even like in the Christian world, you're going to hear different answers. Some people say, you got to tell your spouse. If you, how can you keep any secrets from your spouse? Right? There, there's those. There's others who say, you know what? Don't tell your spouse. Don't rock the boat, especially if you haven't pursued the attraction yet. You know, just, just, just you know, find another way. Which one is it? Which one is it? You, wanna give, you want, want me to give you my answer? Here's what I would say. I say, it depends. <laughs> and see, it depends. It depends on how much your spouse can take and how serious the dangerous attraction has become. Now, keep in mind, this is before anything has happened. This is before you're now, you know, secretly dating this person and, you know, all that stuff. Before any of it, it's just basically you and your struggle. Maybe that person doesn't even know about it yet. Do you tell your spouse, well, this is your, if, this, if your spouse is very secure in their relationship with you, or if they've gone through something similar themselves, then maybe it's a safe place to talk about it. But if your spouse is especially sensitive in this area, or if they've been deeply hurt by unfaithfulness and infidelity in their own life, maybe they were betrayed by a previous lover. Maybe in their family, maybe their parents went through some kind of an affair and all that stuff. Guess what? Talking to them could actually create more problems and just be too hard for your, your spouse to bear. And so in that case, it may be better for you to work it out with God and with a safe friend, a plutonic friend that you trust. See, either way, you need to be careful. You need to be wise. Proverbs 3.21 says it this way, My son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them, let them out of your sight. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. 
See, will you talk about these things together as a spouse, between you and your spouse? Or you just kind of basically trust one another, deal with it on their own and do the right thing from a distance? How exactly the two of you deal with it will be different from couple to couple because, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's got their own sensitivities, their own background, their own pain, their own comfort levels. And so it's really tough to put one kind of rule. Oh, you always do it this way. It really depends on where the two of you are at, but you always want to let wisdom guide your way if you believe that, say amen. Another one is this. Do you talk to your dangerous attraction? Do you say, oh, can you please pray for me? I'm so attracted to you. Can you please, you know, hold me accountable and ask me next week, are you still attracted to me? No, please do not do that. All right, please do not do that. You're just just complicating things by doing that. But this is one thing you should do when it comes to that person. It's number five. Set wise boundaries around that person you're attracted to. Set wise boundaries around that person. What do I mean by that? Do I mean you build a fence literally around them? Kind of, you know, tape, you know, jail, you know, put them in jail? No, no. See, I, I don't literally mean build a fence around them, but what I mean is you got to set boundaries around how you interact with that person. Because a dangerous attraction, guess what? It feeds on access. Is that when we have an opportunity to see that person, to message that person, to meet that person, and we use that opportunity to feed the attraction, that's when the attraction grows. And we say, oh, I'm, not, I'm just talking about work, when deep down we're actually feeding the attraction. Attraction feeds on access. But see, the more access you give the person, the stronger the attraction becomes. The less access you give that person, the weaker very often the attraction becomes, almost like out of sight, out of mind. And see, that's why it's important that you set healthy boundaries that will give you, you know, a healthy way to interact with that person. Now, does that mean that you need to change cities or change jobs or change churches? No, but it depends. In very extreme examples where something has already happened between you and that person, there's a danger of continuing. Maybe that's what you need to do in order to preserve your marriage or all, whatever it is you need to do. But if it's not that kind of extreme example, if they don't even know about your dangerous attractions, just something you're dealing with, then it's it's about you setting boundaries yourself. And maybe that boundary is, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm not going to choose to look, at, look for that person so much. I'm not going to search them on social media. You know, I'm not going to go out of my way to find them and talk to them. Maybe that's enough. Or maybe the boundary is, you know, I'm not going to message them privately about personal stuff anymore because it stirs up too much in you. Or maybe the boundary is that whenever you meet that person, you want to do so in groups rather than hanging out one-on-one. Or maybe another boundary set is, I'm not going to take this person home. Is that, you know, we're going to try to find another way to do it. See, it's about setting healthy, wise boundaries, not because we're legalistic, not because we live in fear, but it's to protect your heart and mind and keep that person safe as well. It's protecting your peace. See, what boundaries you set depends on how serious the situation is, but that's the thing. You need to set healthy boundaries. Every healthy relationship has healthy boundaries. Now, by the way, if you're here and you're not the one with the dangerous attraction, but someone has a dangerous attraction for you, what do you do? See, you can't control who's attracted to you and who's not attracted to you. But I still want to encourage you, if you know there's someone who's got a dangerous attraction for you, you want to be careful. Is that, you know, you know, you want to be careful knowing that you've got some power in their life that maybe not everyone has. And so you want to be careful with, you know, the little things you do, how you dress, the things you say, how touchy you are, how affectionate you are, because we can stir things up without even trying to. You know, Song of Songs 3, 5 says, Promise me a woman of Jerusalem by the gazelles and wild deer not to awaken love until the time is right. I'm not saying you'll wear a blanket. I'm not saying don't ever go swimming. I'm not saying anything, but, I, but I'm talking about you want to just be wise in how you deal with that person. See, here's the thing. 
is, uh, by the way, if you're married and your spouse is attracted to someone else, you also want to be wise in how you deal with that. You don't want to treat every attraction, no matter how serious or how trivial, you don't want to treat it all as if the apocalypse has happened. Like, you know, it's like the end times. And you, know, it's a, it, like, you, you, want, you want to hopefully have some wisdom about how you deal with it. Say you catch your spouse searching up online a celebrity that they think is good looking. You know, it's not pornography. It's not, you know, racy photos. But it's, it's just, you know, they're just looking them up you know, when they're walking down the red carpet of the Oscars. Are you going to go after your spouse for that? Like every day, what did you do? What did you do? Lord, where are your eyes? What are you looking at? What are you doing? Are you going to do that? You know what? You, you, it's, you want to be wise in how you deal with it. Set wise boundaries. Is this helpful in this place today? Number six and seven, we're going to go through real quick today because we only have a certain amount of time. Number six, pray for your marriage or your future spouse if you're not married. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another full, that's Jesus talking. He's saying that, you know what? God, Jesus wants to give you life to the full, but there's also someone else. There's Satan, the thief, who wants to steal and kill and destroy your life because he hates God and he hates anyone God loves. So he wants to destroy your life as well. And if the quality of your marriage is so important to your destiny, if you're someone who's married or wants to get married, then it makes sense that the enemy will try to attack that very important part of your life. Question here, how often do you pray for your marriage if you're married? How often do you pray for you know, your marriage, your future marriage, and how you're ready for that and praying for your future partner if you're married? I would encourage you to do so. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Verse 9 says, resist him. Resist who? Resist the devil, who's here to kill, steal, and destroy. And see, how do you do that? One is way, one way is through your words. You know, once Jesus, he sensed that the devil was trying to tempt him to go in a different direction than the way that God the Father wanted Jesus to go. And so what did Jesus say in Mark 8, 33? He says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Sometimes I'll do that too. When I sense that God is, or that, that Satan is tempting me to go in a different direction than what God wants me to do, sometimes I'll actually say that out loud. I'll say, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. What are you doing? You're taking a stand against the enemy. And you gotta do that. You gotta pray for your marriage. You wanna pray for your future spouse. Number seven, we're gonna close. If you want to deal with a dangerous attraction in a healthy way, believe that God's grace is sufficient for you and he will lead you in the best way. See, don't just believe in the goodness of God's plans. Don't just believe in the authority of God's commands, but believe in the sufficiency of God's grace, that God's grace is more than enough for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Second Corinthians 12, nine says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. See, dealing with a dangerous attraction can be hard. It can be really hard. But God's grace is sufficient for you. And God promises that he will give you everything you need for life and godliness through Jesus Christ. 
through your relationship with him. And so I want to encourage you, if you are going through something tough right now, you're struggling with a dangerous attraction, know that God is not here to shame you. He's not here to take away your happiness. He's here to help you experience peace for real. And it all begins when you look to God and trust that his grace is sufficient for you and he will lead you in the best way. And today we've been talking about dealing with dangerous attractions. And in just a minute, I want to pray for every single one of us here. Uh, but first, I want to pray for those who are here who maybe you're listening to this, you're maybe new to church, but you've never taken that very first step of starting a relationship with God. Maybe you've been to church before, but you've never opened up your heart to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to forgive your sins. Then I want to encourage you to take that step today. Is that when we were separate from God because of our sins, when we couldn't reach God on our own, God loved us and sent Jesus Christ so that we could be forgiven and have a way back to him. And through Jesus Christ, not because of the things we do, but because of what Jesus did in the cross for us, we can be forgiven and have a brand new start and a new life in him. And if that's you, and if you've never opened up your heart to Jesus and you want to do that, we want to help you do that today. It's as simple as praying a prayer. All you need to do is click the link that's in your chat room, scan the QR code that's on your screen, and it'll take you to a prayer that you can pray. And just so you're not praying alone, I'm going to pray this prayer with you. And so why don't you do that right now? Click that link, scan that QR code, and let's pray this prayer together to ask Jesus Christ for his forgiveness for our sins and to ask him to be our savior today. Would you do that right now? Why don't you click that link, scan that QR code, and pray this prayer with me? In fact, I encourage those who have prayed this before to pray with those praying for the first time. You can just say this. Say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then the Bible says that you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And the best is yet to come. And we've got some special gifts to give to you to congratulate you on that decision you've made. Just go to the bottom of that page that you prayed that prayer on. And we'd love to send you those gifts. On top of that, we encourage you to keep coming to church because every baby needs a family to grow up in. We'd love to be your spiritual family. We also encourage you to get baptized because baptism is not a graduation. It's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a savior. I thank Jesus for saving me. And if that's you, you can go to mythrop.info and press the baptism button for more on that. If that's you, you prayed that prayer just now, a big congratulations. Can you give a good congratulations to all those who prayed that prayer just now? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy, and it's so great to be here with you guys today, virtually from wherever it is you're watching. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better. So please text NEW to 604-285-5770 or visit MyThrive.info and we'll mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle. If you pray the prayer with Pastor JB earlier to receive Jesus Christ in your life today, congratulations, we have a gift package for you and we'll send you a series of videos that will help answer some questions about Christianity. Please text BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or visit MyThrive.info. Easter is just around the corner. If you haven't heard yet, we're having our first on-site service on Easter Sunday, April 17th at 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. So invite all your friends and family. 
Pre-registration is no longer required. For more information on our revised safety protocols, please visit myfair.info. We can't wait to see you all there. We are also recruiting a setup and teardown team as we are now a portable church. It takes a great team to convert Leapop Place into Thrive Church each Sunday. This is a great way to know other people and support the mission and vision of Thrive Church. To sign up, head to myfair.info. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at MyThreatInfo. I will see you all next week online at 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. And remember to tell your friends and family. Thrive Church is meeting in person again on Easter Sunday at Lee Pont Place. Bye!